Hello beautiful, you are listening to episode 60 of the Africana Woman Podcast. Chulu is my name, I am a writer, self-branding coach, entrepreneur and mentor. This show is the home of African women's stories. We share ideas, triumphs, challenges and lessons from our perspective as women. Our library is a step to cementing our place in history. Her story, your story, is powerful. Thank you so much for tuning in. Welcome to all the new listeners and welcome back to the OG Africana Woman family. Hey! I need to stop. Please hit the subscribe button and visit AfricanaWoman.com to become an official Africana Woman Visionary. Okay, so we are switching up the conversation and we're getting philosophical. I love such conversations, as you will tell. (laughs) So I spoke to Cristobal Makoha about living authentically. The woman has a beautiful mind. And I hope... You're not too young to understand that reference. (laughs) I feel like I'm dating myself. Anyway, I honestly feel like every young woman should hear this conversation. I wish I had heard it when I was in university. It would have been healing to my soul. Go ahead and take a listen. Let's talk about it on the other side. Christabel Makoha left home at age 18, and since then she has lived in different countries, switched careers like your classic millennial, loved and lost, climbed mountains, now we need to hear about that guys, etc. <laughs> and she thinks that she has lived an interesting life in the last 34 years, and all the experiences she has had have consistently pushed her to find her voice and to live as true to herself as she possibly can without being self-indulgent. Christopher, welcome to the Africana Woman. Mike, I'm so excited for you to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. And I'm excited to chat with you and see where this goes and see what we uncover about ourselves the next 30 minutes or so. Thank you. Yeah. All right, cool. So you are from Kenya, and I'd love to know, what is your favorite memory from childhood? Wow. Um, I think my favorite memory might actually be Christmases. Um, my, like Christmas, the night before Christmas, actually Christmas Eve, my first one sister, Rachel, would bake cake in the very traditional way of not using an oven, using charcoal. I don't know if you ever did that. And you, you know, make the batter, put it in a, in a pot, and then you put charcoal on top and the bottom. And then the next morning, you actually have cake. I think that's one of my favorite memories. And the rest of us would probably be putting up decorations in the house at night. Um, but everyone was, was there. It was extremely simple. But I think that was the only time in the year that I would ever bake cake, and it was kind of a big deal. So I would probably say that's one of my favorite memories. Everyone in the house baking cake using this traditional oven, and the next morning you know what you're going to have for breakfast because there was cake. Yeah. Oh, that's so sweet. It reminds me of... um 
Christmases. I feel like for my generation, when it was Christmas, that's when you knew you, you knew you'd be eating yellow rice <laughs> and chicken. You know, there was like this set menu and salads like coleslaw. <laughs> like those were the special times when those things were prepared and bought and all of that. But now, uh, things have changed. Things have changed. It's yeah. fine. <laughs> so. Yeah. So tell us, what do you believe it means to live authentically? Yeah. I think that's a question that I also grapple with. Sometimes I feel like I have an answer for myself. Sometimes I feel like I don't. I think for me, living authentically means that I live true to myself and that whichever actions I I choose to pursue I can stand behind them whether they work out well or they don't work out well. So am I being true to myself? Am I being consistent to my values? Whatever those might be. Um, if it doesn't go well, can I live with myself and the choices that I'm making? Now, I think that sometimes it can be, people can misconstrue that to mean that I then have to show all of myself to everyone all the time. I don't think it necessarily means that. I think that we can choose parts of ourselves so that we, ch- we choose to show other people, um, depending on how safe we feel, the implications it's going to have, their ability to handle our truth, etc. So by, by no means am I suggesting that we live openly throughout for everyone to see. Um, it's more about, do I feel like I'm being consistent with myself, my values, can I live with the choices that I'm making? And then making those choices to whom we feel we can be open to. And sometimes that's not everyone, and I think that that's okay. It's important to also protect ourselves. Sometimes people end up exposing themselves to unnecessary harm, criticism, etc., just because they feel like that is what it means to live authentically. So I'm curious about how much influence do you think all the countries that you've lived in have had on your values and your belief systems? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think a lot, right? Um, so one, just starting with, with Kenya, growing up until I think 17, 18 is when I left. So obviously a lot of how I think about the world um, how I think maybe how family should look like, etc. All of those things that are core to how we find our place in the world were formed by the, by the time I was leaving the country, right? But I think one of the things that was really interesting when I went abroad the first time, so I went to a UWC in the UK, and the first time I got there, I think what was really hard is actually coming to terms with the fact that my truth is not the truth that everyone is coming to this beautiful place, beautiful school with different schools of thought. Some that I was taught to think are not acceptable or right, but they were right for them when they're growing up. And that I think was such a mind trip for me that there's almost different versions of truth. And I have to figure out how to accommodate all of them in the best way possible. And I think probably that's where my journey for trying to understand people, trying to empathize with where people are coming from, understanding that truth can have almost many different colors and that I don't always hold the whole truth. And sometimes I think people can struggle with holding multiple truths in the same space. It feels like a conflict within yourself. 
But I think that's maybe the first time I was struggling with things like that and started understanding how do I hold my own truth and not let it go, but create space for other people to also hold their own truth. So I think the UK and that sort of 18, 21 age was really critical for allowing me to get to that point where I understand that that's one of my values and I want anyone who comes into my space to feel like we don't always have to agree with Christabel, but at least there was space for their voice to be heard and that I try to empathize and understand where they're coming from. I think that's a very clear place where being there just shaped who I am. I think then sort of moving sort of the US and then coming back home, moving to Zambia, etc. One of the things that I think I came to understand is in as much as we create so much difference in the world, we polarize each other so much, there's very little difference between us. Um, it's interesting when I think back to some of my closest friends, let's say in undergrad, one of them from Pakistan, and we're so similar, yet I grew up, I don't know how many miles apart Kenya and Pakistan are, but our values are very similar. Um, so you start to look at the differences we've been taught around maybe culture and you realize they're not actually really that different. The differences we've been taught exist around religion even. And then you start to understand actually Christianity, Judaism, Islam, etc. they all sort of have the same root and the differences are so minor yet they create so much distance between us. Yeah, so I think one of the things that I definitely learned and I've adopted as a value of mine is just recognizing that as human beings, we're not that different. We all have almost similar wants. We all want to belong. We all want to be understood. We all want to live our best lives. And that's unique. That's common across all of us. The differences are so minor. And we spend so much time and energy on minor, minor things, which then distract us from the important things in life. Um, so I think traveling a lot has allowed me to see that, that there's commonality in all our humanity. Um, and then lastly, there's just small things that have shaped how I want to show up in the world. So for example, moving from Kenya to Zambia, in Kenya, things kind of move relatively fast. I get into a taxi and I'm going here and I don't even say hi. Then I moved to Zambia and I had to adjust that because you get in and you have to say, hi, how are you today, etc. And it just forced me to slow down actually quite a bit. And it's something that I kept saying to myself when I was moving back to Kenya, I don't want to lose that, that ability to slow down, to see people, to say, hi, how are you doing? How's your day today? How's this person? That's something that I learned in, to do in Zambia that I still want to keep. At the same time, then you see how fast Kenya let's say, moves in terms of entrepreneurship, and I want to adopt that. So I think there's different things you pick from different cultures that have shaped who, who I am, and I'm trying to be deliberate about what did I learn living, I don't know, in the West, living in Southern Africa, doing projects in like Nigeria that I want to make sure that I keep keep as as values or as a way in which I exist in the world. That's so funny. Yeah. In Zambia, like, it's all about greeting. <laughs> you see each other, like, people get offended. Like, oh, my God, you didn't greet. <laughs> but I wanted to explore more on what you just said about how people find it uncomfortable to to accommodate other people's truths, you know? Mm -hmm. And 
I know somebody can be listening and is thinking, but how exactly do I do that? You know, I have been brought up to believe X, but then this person is saying Y. And, yeah. you know, how, how can I, how can I exist with that yeah. person in, in peace, in harmony? Like, what, what would you say to that? Yeah, I think it's an important question. And for me, it was definitely a journey. I feel that the biggest challenge towards to working towards that is we, we tend to think that if I accept your truth, then it means I have to let go of my truth. And I understand why someone would think that, but I feel like that's probably the biggest hurdle to getting to accepting that. Actually, there might be multiple ways of looking at this. The fact that your truth doesn't necessarily have to be threatening to mine. I can still hold on to mine. I think that allows us to maybe overcome 70% of the hurdle, to be honest, because as soon as it stops being about myself, human beings are wired to protect themselves. You threaten me, um, I either want to run or I want to guard up. So if I feel like your truth means I, my truth gets displaced, by all means, I'm going to fight to hold on to my truth. But whether it's about different opinions on, I don't know, religion, political views, sexuality, gender roles, uh, relationships, etc., someone else's truth doesn't mean that mine is relevant. And I think because we live in a world that is so fast-moving, fast-paced, we don't create enough time and space for us to hear each other. So we only know, okay, I have only two minutes, let's say, to talk about this this thing. And so I'm going to be the loudest one in the room. I'm going to talk the most in the room so that they can hear my point of view. But what happens when we slow down? What happens when I take, you know, like right now we're taking the time to chat with each other without feeling rushed. What does that mean about my ability to suspend my truth for just a moment to say, let me understand her point of view. Um, so I think what I'm trying to say is, is one, if we accept the fact that by hearing and trying to understand someone else's truth, it doesn't mean I have to let go of mine necessarily. It doesn't threaten mine. What would that mean for all of us? Secondly, if we slow down, slow down enough to actually create time for authentic conversations, not for this microwave conversation where it's two minutes, I've read, read something on Twitter and now I'm making a snap judgment on it. If I actually spend the time to understand your point of view, that allows me to get to the core of why you believe the things that you believe. And then I think lastly, I would say, if we accept that as humans, we have common basic needs, needs around being understood, needs around being loved, needs around being accepted. If I want that for myself, why would I not create that for someone else? And so even if every fiber of my being fights, wants to fight you and your truth, if I can understand that as a human being, that's going to affect you negatively, can I then suspend my judgment? Can I then suspend my, this inherent need to protect my space and my truth and etc. So I think for me, those are the three things that I'd say constantly try to drive me. One is this person's truth does not threaten mine. Two, I need to slow down enough to understand someone else. And then three, at the end of the day, even if I don't accept you, accept your belief system, etc., you're human, you have the same needs that I have, and that can allow me to then create space for you. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. Now, as somebody who has um, 
traveled extensively. I know from my own experience, I, I struggled with the idea of home. Like what mm-hmm. exactly is home? You know, mm-hmm. you know, you're abroad and you're missing out on all the things that are happening. You're calling, you know, there's like yeah. a function and all of this stuff. And you're like, ah, I want to be home. And then you get home and then it's sort of like, Again, it's it's like this um, culture shock <laughs> and sort of like people have moved on as well. And you're just feeling, okay, do I really belong? Like, what exactly do I call home? And what what is your definition of home? Where do you anchor yourself and say, this is home? Yeah, that's a really, one, it's a hard question. And probably two ties to this question of authenticity for me. I think... Home for me would probably mean the place that I feel most accepted Um, and that I can be myself and I am loved just for who I am. And so because of that, then I think home takes on different shapes or forms. We might not even be, it might be geographic, e.g. do I feel at home in Kenya versus I don't know anywhere else. It might be a person, it might be a certain kind of environment, it might be a type of a conversation. For example, this is very much home for me, and I'm guessing for you as well, given you're hosting it. Um, so for me, home is where am I allowed to, and I'm using the word allowed, which is an interesting choice of word anyway. Where can I be myself? Where do I feel accepted and loved? Just for who I am without having to change the way I speak, the way I think, the way I, I show up, etc. Yeah. So on a macro level, mm. there's a quote that you said that you um, particularly liked, which is, until the lions have their own historians, the history <laughs> of the hunt will always glorify the hunter. Mm-hmm. What does that mean for Africans? Oh, my God. Wow, uh, that's a big one. I I wrote that I think for my profile for Tufts, if I'm not Tufts, if I'm not mistaken. And okay, I think as as Africans, if we look at our history and even our ongoing reality, often if it's not said in a certain voice, it's not seen as valid. If the, whether the voice is owned by a white person, for example, or whether the voice is me imitating a Western way of speaking because we've learned we have to code switch often. If it's not said in a certain way, it's not seen as valid. And I think what that means is that often maybe ways of knowing if they don't mirror the West, for example, they're not validated. And so African ways of knowing, African thoughts around leadership and how we approach leadership, if it's, let's say, not as collaborative, for example, okay, uh, okay, I'll take that back. If it's not in the way maybe the West perceives what leadership should be, e.g., I think if you look at African leadership, it's very collaborative. Um, It might not be seen as a way of leading people. So what does that mean in the African context? I think often we don't own our history, first of all. Um, We don't own our current stories. Innovations that, for example, happen on the continent, 
if they're not worded in a certain way where it's palatable to the Western world, might not be seen even as innovative. I was doing research sometime back in Zambia, in rural Zambia. Maybe this must have been in Eastern, maybe Chipata is in Eastern, right? Yeah. And for the longest time, if you ask anyone who's in the financial inclusion space, they will tell you rural populations actually don't understand insurance and don't use insurance. And even I knew that for a fact. So we go in and we're doing research with village savings and loans groups. This is groups of women, typically about maybe 10 to 20 or so. They come around in circles maybe once a week or every two weeks, meet, put in money in their social fund and give each other loans. And as we were trying to understand how the system worked, it hit me that they have two types of funds. They have a loan fund where everyone puts in their contribution and you can actually borrow from that fund. But they have what is called a social fund where everyone chips in whether it's five quarter and then if something happens, God forbid, um, you're able to then contribute towards the member who either maybe has lost a family member or um, has someone sick in the hospital. And then it hit me, but, that, but that's what insurance is. You actually pay premium in the hope that if something bad happens, you're covered. It's insurance, but it's not framed in the way a financial expert, for example, might frame it. And they also, when you ask them, do you want insurance? They'll say no. But because we're using different language, because we're not trying to understand how their systems work, we just made assumptions that they're likely financially illiterate, they're not interested in insurance, and we should not even try to design an insurance product. I give that example just to say, I think that because we tend not to tell our own stories, because we tell our stories in a different language, in a different accent, in a different vocabulary, um, it doesn't always make it to the top. I think one exa last example that I'll probably give is if you look at, um, I, was, I was taking a class a few months ago on global political economy, and I was struck by how th there's no literature that's written by Africans. A lot of it was really, the thought leaders were white men, not even necessarily women, white men. And I was really grappling with this. So one of the assignments we had to do was to talk about the great powers in the global political economy. And I did not want to say US, UK, Russia, or the or China. I just felt like I was going to betray my continent. So I had to figure out how to redefine power in a way that allows for Africa to exist. Because in the way they've defined power, which is the ability to, I don't know, influence, Africa gets erased. And so in my search to try and redefine what power means in a way that can accommodate the continent, I realized there's very few scholarly articles that exist. And so you have this chicken and egg problem where I can't write new material without doing literature to support what I'm trying to say, but new literature, literature doesn't actually exist to support what I'm trying to say. So we get stuck in this circle. But I think with that, it's what sort of made me actually write that quote that we don't get to tell our own stories. We don't even get to define what power means. So we're existing in the periphery of this global world. How do we exist? How do we not get erased? And I feel like we're constantly erased in different places, whether it's in academia, whether it's even in the development space. We are. We, I feel like we're constantly erased from those spaces. Yeah. So how do we, how do we 
like break that cycle like you're like you're when you were just saying that you know there's not enough literature for me to mm. to you know write something that is current and um mm. you know modern and up to date how do we find a way for us mm. to still be seen to mm. still validate the contributions mm. that we do make mm. mm-hmm. I think one, you're actually doing it. I feel like the more we write and talk about it, the more we start to validate ourselves. And I think we need enough of us to do that. I'm talking to myself as well, for us to hit a critical mass. Because for an idea to, to become mainstream, you need to hit a certain critical mass. Once you hit that, you can never go back. So how do we get enough of us writing? How do we get enough of us using our voices? It's not easy. It's a brave choice. Um, to want to say something that might not necessarily actually be supported. Um, I think we tend to question ourselves. Am I just being stubborn? Am I just being contrarian? Like I did question myself. Is the reason that I don't feel like I can write a paper about the great powers and make it about those countries that I'm just being stubborn? Or is there something there that really doesn't sit right with me? And so I had to get over that hurdle. But I think the more of us who write, who speak, who try to understand what is the African definition of leadership, how would I, as a leader in an organization, for example, figure out the KPIs for my staff in a way that's not westernized? The more we write, the more we talk, the more I think we can actually hit a critical mass that then we cannot be ignored. But that work can't be left for left to, again, the Western world. Um, and I think I get it. I feel like a lot of us, by the time we're getting to maybe mid-career, not, I don't know, is that in mid-career? I can't, I can't tell anymore. <laughs> By the time we're getting to about maybe, let's say 25 to 35, we're so focused on, I just need to get a job so I can actually then, whether it's meet my needs, support whoever it is that I need to support, you're essentially in survival mode. And if you think about Maslow's hierarchy, that that conversation that I'm saying we should be having feels more like a self-actualization conversation. But a lot of us are very much focusing on just, I went to school, I need to graduate, I need to get a job and pay my bills. And then soon enough, you hit 30-something and you're thinking, maybe I should have a family, I should have kids. And then just life takes over. So I really get why it can be hard to spend the time to do it. But if we don't do it, then nothing changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I am always advocating for people, for women especially to write because I like to say that you know history is his story and it really drives me mad um so I really just love the idea of and I hope people that are listening I hope you're hearing our call out this is a call to action can you please start writing whatever it be right in your space of influence you know but I want to circle back to what you were talking about authenticity um, in relation to um, using a Western language, um, the way they speak, the way they, you know, they talk. I think, and I think I'll probably just talk about my own experience, you know. I, <laughs> when I I left the country, you know, you, you don't, you don't know what you don't know. Like, 
I, I didn't know that, oh, okay, my accent is a certain way. And then people are acting like they can't understand me. So then I have to change myself and begin to speak a, a certain way, you know? And even now when people hear me, they think, oh, no, you know, she's not Zambian. <laughs> They're thinking that, oh, she's, um, I don't know, American, it's this mix of American and UK type of um, accent. But, you know, I think those types of um, moments that happen in our life make us question our authenticity um, to our roots or to to who, what our identity is, you know, in terms of, okay, um, for example, I don't speak a, a, a local language, right? I, in my home, we grew up speaking English. And then I'm thinking, okay, so... Am I really African? Because even, even when I do write, I'm also questioning, is this really representative of uh, an African thought or is it really influenced by that Western um, education, Western culture and all of that that I have been exposed to, you know? So I'm just, I guess my question is <laughs> for people that struggle with or for people that have found themselves um, highly exposed to um, Western concepts, Western cultures. How do they find that balance in really um, being authentic to themselves? I think that's a fair question, and, and my 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 in my first I guess response is one. I think we also keep hearing the message that because my experience is now coloured with travel. It's not African enough. And we've actually had a lot of conversations with some of my friends where we now feel also othered by, <laughs> by people who say, oh, you don't speak a certain way, so that can't be the African experience. But it actually is. It's just, it, you're African, you're born here. Um, you've had different experiences that are coloring the way you, you think, the way you act, the way you talk, etc. But I have no right to tell you that it's not African enough. So number one, how do we just get over that? In some ways, some imposter syndrome that I can't be representative of the voice because mine is colored. Um, I think step one, I feel like that's, that's false. And I know that I've also felt that myself. Am I still really representing the voice of, of the true African people? But I am African. And so if I say anything... It means I am representing representing the voice, I think, to start with. But secondly, I feel that I generally I don't have a problem code switching per se, because I feel that to some level for me it's saying, I know what you need to hear to accept what I'm saying. For example, if I get in a taxi, the example we're giving in, in Zambia, right? In Kenya, I'll just get in a taxi normally. Uh, I'm going to, I don't know, village market, and we go. But now in Zambia, I had to slow down and figure out, okay, hi, how are you? Even if I care, I don't care. I had to do it to, to fit in. There isn't a problem per se, I think, with code switching culture in that moment. I think the problem comes, I think, when 
you're code switching so much and you're being forced to code switch so much that who you are doesn't have a place to breathe. And I think for me, that's why it's important to actually have a, what I call a tribe or a place where I know I can go, where I don't have to change my thoughts, my views, etc. And sometimes that doesn't mean that the tribe is purely African. It just means it's people for whom I don't have to change my way of speaking, my mannerisms, my dressing, my true beliefs, etc. If you don't have that space, I think it becomes problematic. But my genuine belief is that everyone in the world code switches, some more than others, because we have to relate to the spaces that we're in. Some code switching comes from a bad place where someone is pretending not to understand you or my culture might be perceived to be too loud and so now I have to tone myself down. Some of it does come from a bad place and I do want to appreciate that. I think that's not the debate I want to get into. I think what I'm trying to say is to some extent we all have to code switch. We're all being forced to make those negotiations. If I talk like this, I'll be better heard. If I slow down, I'll be better accepted. If I slow down too much, I'll be thought of not being smart enough, so I have to speak faster. But if I'm cognizant that that's happening so much in my life, where do I go? How do I create spaces that allow me to not do it too much? Because if I don't have those spaces, then living authentically becomes a myth. I think for me, if I, so long as I have those spaces where I can go have true connection, conversations without feeling like I have to filter so, so much, then it allows me to build my core. Um, if I have a strong core, then it allows me to then not be too hard when someone says they don't understand my accent. But if my core is not strong enough, then any moment where I'm being forced to act another way becomes really hard for me to bear. So how do I build a tribe? How do you build a tribe around you that allows you to really remain authentic, to not have to pretend that your views around Christianity or religion have changed, um, to not pretend that sometimes you'll have to add um, and you have to change the way you say waters just so you don't have to repeat yourself five thousand times. Sometimes when I write, I'll have to write in an American way so I can actually get a proposal through the door. That's the reality. Yeah. 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 I love everything about what you said. Because <laughs> it makes me think about like, you know, in my workspace, I've got a very uh, different accent to when I'm just interacting like on the street. And then there's also the way I talk to my friends, like, like you're saying that tribe, your core inner circle, they're very different. And it's, it's, it's just funny because when someone calls me, for example, at work and I'm not thinking about it, then I'm just like, you know, like with that accent and it's like, oh, is this Chulu? <laughs> Can I speak to her? I'm like, this is her. <laughs> so yeah, I totally get what you're saying. <laughs> so I think I just wanted to... Mm. Maybe that's one thing I just I thought that has come to mind. Mm. If What if we actually look at that as a, a power in itself. The fact that I know how to adapt to speak to, and I'm just using speaking as a, to speak to different audiences. 
that I can isn't that what I guess being agile would mean that if I'm in a different space I can figure out how to interact and I know many people will have a problem with that but I'm just wondering is there a power in owning that that because I have lived in multiple places I can actually be truly a global citizen yes it's hard but I can actually truly be a global citizen because then I can use certain parts of myself to reach to a different audience that I normally would not have been able to access. And if that's the case, then how do I use that access to then advance the causes that are important to me perhaps? So if you can speak a certain way and you care about like one of the things that I'm interested in exploring is how do we get more capital in the hands of African entrepreneurs? And I know many people are thinking about this problem. But if then I can speak in a way that makes someone feel more comfortable giving money, it's unfortunate that that's the case. But then how do I use that quote-unquote power to advance some of the courses that I care about? Yeah, I, I a friend of mine um, once told me it's, it's like being multilingual, you know, mm-hmm. if you think of it that way. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's just what it is in one space you're speaking this language and in another space in another space you're speaking another language and i love how you put it is in the sense that it is a a superpower and people shouldn't be ashamed of it you know um i mean in my case i've had situations where people um have reacted negatively because they don't think i'm being authentic Mm-hmm. Um, and genuine. They're like, oh, why are you pretending to be, to talk when, you, when you're in this space, you're pretending you talk this way. And then in this other space, you're talking this way. So, you know, it's kind of like they've taken it as, oh, she's just pretending to be somebody else, but yeah. I'm not, I'm the same person, <laughs> literally same values, same, um, you know, belief systems. It's not that I'm, I am preaching something different. I'm just speaking differently. And I think that's where the disconnect happens in terms of the way people perceive um, the, you know, as you said, the coding different, when you mm-hmm. switch the different codes, it's not that my values have changed. It's not that um, I have changed my beliefs. It's just that mm-hmm. the words that are coming out of my mouth are different <laughs> or differently pronounced, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <sighs> All good things must come to an end. <laughs> I have really enjoyed this conversation. I think what would you be... I, what would your um, final words be for somebody who is um, is in a phase of trying to identify what their um, authentic self is and what their identity is? I, I feel like there's, like you said, there's like this stage we go through, like, you know, first, yeah, you finish uni and then it's like, oh, let me find a job. And then, you know, you get to a certain place where you're just like, oh, but then who am I? Who, what, you know, who am I really, you know? And you begin to explore that in more um, depth. So to that person, what would your advice be? Yeah. I think one that figuring out who you are, I I, I feel is not a one-time thing. You're constantly evaluating who you are. It changes over time. Um, 
who I thought maybe I was three years ago is probably looking very different now and it will probably look different 10 years from now. So I'm accepting that as it is actually a journey and it's not a one-time thing that now I've figured out who I am. Knowing that then, one, being comfortable with sitting with that discomfort um, becomes important. So rather than, oh, this is uncomfortable, I don't know who I am, I don't know who my authentic self is, and I don't like that. Rather, I think accepting that as a journey that you're in and then spending time doing the right research and the, the work and the self-work to understand what are the values that are important to you then, whether that's through, I don't know, therapy or whether that's through listening to podcasts or reading a lot more. Um, I think as you read, as you watch videos, as you read, as you engage with people, if you're cognizant enough, you can start to pick out what are the values that are standing out to me. And that is not a passive process. That's a very active process. I think life can't just happen to us and we hope that one day I'll wake up and I get an epiphany. It's a very active process of, I want to figure this out. So I'm going to spend the time, read, am I taking notes? Am I sitting with what feelings am I feeling? And before getting rid of the feeling, understand why is this thing making me uncomfortable? And it's interesting for myself, I think that I start to do that more and more, which is I'm upset about something. Instead of chastising myself for getting upset about something, asking the question, why did this thing upset me? What does it tell me about myself? If I made good choices or bad choices, why does this thing make me feel this way about myself? Because therein lies the answers as to what our value systems are, what our fears are, um, where we, what our triggers are. And that's how you start to learn who you are, right? So I'd say step one, one, recognizing that it's not a one-time thing. It's a journey that we all sort of go through and multiple, at different times, you'll be negotiating that question depending on the exposure you're having, career, pros, the, the, the place you are in your career, who's in your life, etc. Secondly, it's not a passive process. It's a very active process. How do I spend the time to sit with myself to understand what are, the, what are the things that I get, I'm getting triggered by? What do I care about? Um, what podcasts am I listening to that excite me? What values do they represent that then allow me to know what my own value systems are? And then lastly, and I probably will say this is a big thing for me, finding your tribe and spending time with your tribe. I think we live in a world that's become, I sound so old when I say that. <laughs> I live in a world that's become so fast paced and you have to book appointments with people before you show up. Um, you can't really just call someone anymore, etc. How do I become more deliberate about spending time, virtual or physical, with the people that care about who care about me, because then they build your core. And I would say the biggest step towards living your authentic life is actually having a strong core, because then you're not shaken by things. You're not shaken by comments like, 
you're code switching so you can't be authentic, knowing that actually, no, I can speak differently, but my values are the same. So how do you build your core? And I am a big believer that part of how you build your core is having people around you who affirm you, who speak your language, who believe in you, love you anyway, will call you out when you're not being all that straight, you know. Um, so the last thing I would say is finding your tribe and being deliberate about keeping your tribe engaged with you. The deliberate part is really important because, again, Passive versus active, we have to be active and create the kinds of lives that we want to create. Yeah. Thank you. You know, when you were talking, it made me think about how, <clears throat> for whatever reason, <laughs> I feel like what I call the village um, <laughs> likes to keep people in um, a certain box. So because you behaved a certain way when you were, I don't know, you know, in your teens or early 20s, then that's the person that you will always be even in your 30s and your 40s. And it's like, what? Come on now. If you as an individual have changed, then surely other people have changed. And people don't give each other enough space or I don't know if it's enough trust to believe that someone can change or is changing, has changed, you know? Um, And I think just to add to that, to what you've said, I think it's, it's, it would be very beneficial for everyone to at least explore within your, you know, whether it's your families or your, your friendship circles and just explore every now and then to say, okay, have, you know, where are the areas that you have changed and you are growing or developing, you know? And I think it might, um, it might help for less conflicts and less assumptions, you know, because I think that also, you know, the people that are, are labeled sort of get frustrated and they just like throw their hands up in the air and just be like, well, if you, if you're going to believe that, then I'm not going to try and change you. And, you know, they kind of check out, but I, I really do believe that we all need to be able to um, give each other, um, give each other that, that space to say, okay, this person is growing. They're changing in certain ways and maybe let me learn what those are, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Christopher, let us know, tell the audience how they can connect with you, where they can find out what you are working on and, you know, have you got any projects that are going, you know, whether um, people can support you, please let us know. Thanks. So I am not on Facebook. I left, I ran away from Facebook, but Instagram, Najala <laughs> Makoha, mostly LinkedIn actually. I use my LinkedIn profile a lot, so I post my thoughts there. But I'm working on a blog, um, speaking of writing. I'm working on something that I hope will come out soon in the next quarter, hopefully. And when that does, I will probably share it on my LinkedIn so they can find out my information there. Yeah. And- Awesome. Listen, I have really enjoyed speaking with you. Um, and thank you so much for coming on the show and just sharing your thoughts and wisdom. Truly appreciated. Thank you so much. Thank you so much as well. Um, you've been a, so a gracious host. I've enjoyed having this conversation with you and I look forward to many more. I know you heard the call to action. 
But I'll say it again for the people at the back. (laughs) More of us need to write and talk about our stories, our innovations, our thought leadership. We need to document our way of doing things. We cannot leave this task to a few people. Like Christabel said, we need enough people to write and talk about the African way for us to hit a critical mass and it becomes mainstream. Just look at the way African music has blown up across the world. What about African leadership or African innovation or African medical practices? There is so much depth in what we have to offer the world. I'm going to take this a step further. As you may or may not know, Africana Woman comprises of a podcast, blog, and community of visionaries. For the most part, the blog has been a collection of my personal shenanigans. (laughs) Some would say I find how I find humor in everything is a little unhealthy, but nonetheless, that's not what we're talking about. On a serious note, I am inviting you, yes, you, to be a contributor to the Africana Woman blog. It can be one paragraph of how your grandmother used to do X, Y, or Z. It can be more about how you visited your village and you saw them doing something phenomenal. They've got this ancient technique that is being passed down generation to generation. Take pictures, take photos. Let's document all of this, guys. It can be your own story, of course. So all I'm saying is write it down or write down for those who are not able to. Please, please, please contact me at Africanawoman at gmail.com. I would, guys, I'd be so, so delighted in 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 a way that I can't even express to see and to share the diversity of the African woman's experience on the Africana Woman blog. So this is my invitation to you. Write something for the blog. Okay? It's a deal? Yes. Thank you, darling. You know the drill. Give people their roses right now. Please find Christabel Makoha on LinkedIn and tell her thank you. And tell her what you learned from this episode. You guys know my playground is Instagram. So you can find me at Chulubai Design. Tag me. Tell your friends about the Africana Woman podcast and the blog. Remember, (laughs) let me know what you took away from this episode. I I just love hearing from you guys. Thank you so much for all the wonderful feedback. So I'll talk to you soon. This has been a production of Africana Women. <laughs>